Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy 26 in continuation of our study and also in continuation of the discourse that Moses is giving this this next generation that is passing to the promised land. He says in verse 1, Deuteronomy 26, verse 1, And it shall be, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, you must never forget. Remember in our study in chapter 9, it's not because to say like, oh, because you guys are awesome. No, it's because of the wickedness of those peoples in those lands. And the Lord is giving them the land, the region as an inheritance, certain very specific borders. And so it's very important to understand in the Old Testament because there are major implications uh, in the f- future chapters in the Old Testament, major implications in the New Testament, major implications even today, prophetically speaking. And so we see and in, in verse 1, And you shall possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground. Remember, this is the first fruits. You shall take some of the first of all the produce which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Now, this is so beautiful in verse 2 because you figure, okay, well, they're there. They arrive in the promised land, so that's it. But no, that's not the case. You figure, okay, so, the, you know, Israel's, you know, they, they pass into the, the promised land and okay, everything's fine and dandy. Everything's good to go. But no, there's more to it. There's still more following needed. And to say following, it's following the Lord. You know, sometimes as Christians, we get the idea, well, okay, I believe in Jesus Christ. So, okay, that's it. No, I mean, it's beautiful to believe in Jesus Christ, but we continue to follow him and the, 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 at the onset of belief in Jesus Christ. We continue not just to believe, but then now comes the obedient aspect. Following him in spirit. Following him in accordance to his word as the, as the spirit. We are the ones that yields to the spirit as the spirit leads and guides and teaches and instructs. I love this so much because when you boil things down, it's like, you you know, you look at this and you figure, okay, so in verse one and two, like, okay, so Israel arrives, they, they get into the promised land. Well, they're not here yet, but Moses is telling them when you guys get here. And so it's like, wait a second. So is that it? You know, is that, you know, put a nice bow on it and okay, we're done. No, there's more. It's now comes the obedience aspect, following him in spirit, following him in truth. And it's the same for us. You know, if you're not a believer, you come to believe in Jesus Christ and the mindset, okay, that's it. You know, once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. No, that's not good. You know, the the formula isn't once saved, always saved. The formula is once saved, stay saved. Now you listen to our prior studies. You look at our studies when we, our references to Luke, uh, Luke chapter eight, verse 13, how it is entirely possible to be a believer, but not for the long run. To be a believer for a little tiny moment of time. It could be for a couple months. It could be for six months. Now that's not good for the Christian, for the believer, for the saints. It's forever to the day we die. You see, to the day we die. And, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our glorified bodies, 
which is a very forward-looking. It's a very uh, forward-looking, uh, forward-looking in terms of paradise with the Lord. But it's something we look forward to. You know, it's both. You know, very forward-looking in terms of you know, like binoculars looking forward into the future. But then at the same time, it's something that we also look forward to with great exuberance. It's 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 the handiwork of the Lord. And so we see, so Israel is, you know, Moses is telling this next generation, the younger generation, that there's still more yielding to the Lord. It's not just, okay, you guys have arrived and that's it. There's more. He says in verse 3, And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare to you, the, I declare today to the Lord your God that that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Now, transactionally speaking, notice how, you know, when it, when the person goes to the priest, it says, I declare today to the Lord your God. Transactionally speaking, do you remember when we were looking at passages in Leviticus, a little bit in Exodus, a lot in Leviticus, a little bit in Numbers, a little bit in Deuteronomy, from a transactional standpoint, Offerings unto the Lord are given to the priests, but, and that's one transaction. The, 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 the people give making offerings and sacrifices and giving, or, or, or the people giving sacrifice and offering to the priest. That's their transaction unto the Lord. And then the Lord's, the, the trans, the second transaction is the, the, the priest and the Lord. How the Lord says to the priest, okay, you know, a, a portion of these offerings, that's for you. That's, you know, you can take a piece of this meat and go home and, you know, you have food to eat. Transactionally speaking, notice the different transactions, the people giving unto the Lord and then the Lord giving it to the priests. You know, it's not the people giving to the priests. It's the people giving to the Lord. It's very important to understand how the Lord works, Old Testament and New Testament, because a lot of times pastors today, they say, well, you know, um, I have a, uh, uh, I have to pay rent. I have to pay mortgage. I have to, you know, I have to pay for a, a, a new car. I gotta pay for, uh, my, re- I gotta fund my retirement. I gotta fund this, my 401k. I gotta fund this. And, you know, pastors have this mentality and they say, therefore, since it's in the Bible that the saints support me, therefore you tithe more. That's carnal thinking. Those people, pastors who, who do that, th- those are called hirelings. Not good. Not good at all. The biblical formula, the provision that the Lord, you know, the Lord says it himself. Paul, Paul references too. You know, remember, remember we studied this several weeks ago. You know, is it the ox that the Lord is concerned about? Is it the ox that the Lord is concerned about? And when we looked at other passages in the Gospels, you see Jesus Christ referring to uh, 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 the the food for the ox. You shall not muzzle the ox. But when the Lord, he identifies it as food. You go over here and, you know, whatever the people give you to eat, that's what you eat. That's your provision. Not your 401k, not your retirement, not this, you know, a new yacht, a new boat, a new mansion, nothing like that. A new private plane, nothing like that. You don't see that. But yet you see it today among, not pastors, I mean, they call themselves pastors, but among the hireling. And so you have to remember these from a transactional standpoint, 
The people give to the Lord. That's transaction number one in honoring of him. Now, the priests, now the ball's in their court in terms of obedience unto the Lord. You see, the ball's in the people's court in terms of their obedience unto the Lord and making sacrifices and offerings and giving it, giving them to the Lord. But then at the same time, that's transaction number one. Transaction number two is, okay, now the priests have responsibility. You know, a portion is for them. They can go home and eat. They can have a nice meal. They have provisions for their families. And what's so beautiful about that is that there's no, like uh, the hunter-gatherer type. You know, that that's non, non-existent among the priesthood. You know, does this mean that the priests have licensure to just, you know, sit at home and be lazy? No, they have a job to do. Remember, people have to be right before the Lord. They have a job to do. Abodah, abodah, mishkan. Remember our studies in Leviticus? They have a job to do. And rather than, you know, being hunter-gatherer mentality and, you know, getting food for their homes and do it, which is good. You know, that that's beautiful, you know, when, when, you know, having provisions and food for your home, except for the priesthood, the Lord has tasked them to care for the people, to make sure that the people are holy. Now, since they are occupied with that task, a provision from the Lord unto the priesthood is that they can take of the, you know, some of the offering, you know, a portion from the offerings that they can eat and have food and, 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 and provide for their families. You see, and that's the formula. But can you see there is ample space, ample space for corruption, ample space for corruption? Because you know, the, the people could get in their mind that, okay, instead of this transaction being me unto the Lord, I'm giving to the priest. And the priest, you know, because they are ordained by the Lord, especially the high priest, because remember in the mercy seat, that's where the high priest would go and speak with the Lord. And then the high priest would come out and say, okay, thus saith the Lord. Now, if any of that is off kilter, well, number one, the high priest could be killed. Uh, the Lord could take his life. And, you know, number two, you know, if the priests start saying, well, you know, thus said the Lord, or I interpret this like this, and the Lord desires this, now you have to sacrifice, and I need more, uh, I, I want to eat, you know, like, I want to eat more food, so, you know, you need to sacrifice more so that I can eat more, a little guilt trip unto the people. It happens in the Old Testament. These are things that we're going to see in our studies in the Old Testament, but I don't really have to explain this because we see it today. We see it today, the money preachers. And so when we look at scriptures, we see the beauty of what was designed by the Lord. The ugliness that we, that we see in future passages in the Old Testament, that's man. That's not the Lord. That's man. Remember, the Lord responds. The Lord is reactionary. But it's the same today. It's the exact same today. Have you ever talked to non-believers and non-believers say, oh, you know, I see the corruption in the church and, you know, the money preachers and all they do, you know, they, they have their private jets. They have their, uh, uh, you know, their uh, 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 Bentleys. They have, you know, these nice cars. They have these nice mansions and mansion number one, mansion number two. And I don't like that. Well, the Lord doesn't like that either. You know, the people have a transaction unto the Lord, honoring Him. 
making tithes and offerings unto him. But then at the same time, the pastor, whoever's sitting in that seat of pastor, they also have a responsibility unto the Lord. And not to suggest that, you know, that, you know, the, the, you know, doctrine is key. Remember, the formula has to be right, but there's multiple pots, multiple recipes being cooked in multiple pots. You get the formula in the people, the formula in the pastor, the formula in husbands, the formula in wives, the formula in kids, the formula in ministry leaders, the formula in elders, the formula in the worship team, the formula in the, in the sanctuary. The formula's got multiple pots. Some pots, you got big pots. Some, you got little pots. Some, you got little, but for the little ones, you got little pans, little tiny saucepans. But the formula's got to be right. It's very important to understand because when you see things off kilter, knowing that the Lord is reactionary, we're going to know exactly why the Lord responds the way he does. Now, when you don't understand the concept of the formula being right, when you don't understand that concept, now, you know, a lot of times people get this idea, oh, I don't like reading the Old Testament because look, God is, God is too mean in the Old Testament. God is, he's too vengeful, too much wrath in the Old Testament. But when you understand that the formula's got to be right, then you understand, okay, this is why the Lord does this because the formula was wrong in this guy and then he had chance to repent and he didn't do that. So the Lord took him. He died. Look at the sons of Korah. I mean, you look at the sons, or not the sons of, the sons of Korah are actually quite beautiful. Read the Psalms. But you look at Korah and those who followed him and how the earth opened up and swallowed them, and men, women, and children. And you're like, whoa, that is hardcore. Yes, it is. Yes, absolutely, it is. But to point the finger at God, I mean, if anyone so dares do, it, to point the finger at the Lord and say like, wow, that's so mean, that's so vengeful. That's dangerous to do without understanding the formula. The formula's got to be right in the people. The formula's got to be right in the individual. The formula's got to be right over here, multiple pots. When you understand that concept of the formula being right, then we read the account of Korah, which we've already done, but you, you know the account of Korah. That the earth opened up and men, women, and children. It's like, okay, I get it now. Because Korah made his choice, you know, rebellion against the Lord. Korah made his choice. But then the other people who followed him, they made their choice as well. And then you understand, okay, the formula wasn't right. And it's not just the formula wasn't right for two seconds and then boom, they're dead. No, the formula wasn't right day after day after day after day after day. Opportunity to repent. And be cleansed of the Lord. Opportunity was there. But that never happened. You see? It's very important. You hear us say that all the time. It, for us to understand this concept of formula. Because it will help you. It helps us. As new covenant believers. The formula has got to be right in all of us. Pots all over the place, pots, little pots all over the world. Pot over here, pot over there, pot over here, pot. little saucepans, little tiny pots, big pots. You see, the formula's got to be right across multiple areas in all of us. In sanctuary and fellowship, the formula's got to be right. Now, 
the formula has got to be right in husbands and wives and kids and elders and pastors and ministry leaders and worship leaders. And then at the same time, what about sanctuary? The formula still has to be right. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians? How there's order in the fellowships? If we were to take all the listeners and gather in a big warehouse, which would be beautiful, I mean, <laughs> that would be, that would just bless my socks off. I love all of you guys. Now, if we were to take all of the listeners and gather in a warehouse, well, we're, there's going to be a gathering, you know, in, 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 in our glorified bodies, there will be a gathering. But I'm talking about before that, if we were to gather, there would still have to be order in the fellowship. You know, if, you know, remember about speaking in tongues, how, you know, the Lord caps it at three, one, two, uh, uh, one speaks in tongues, the other interprets. And if, you know, and then, you know, if there's no interpreter, then okay, you know, know, at most two speak in tongues and then interpreter, you see, there's order in the fellowship. So there has to be order in the sanctuary among the body. If there's like, you know, uh, thousands of people in and everybody's speaking in tongues, it's going to be straight up crazy town. The formula has got to be right. The formula must be right in sanctuary. You see, order in the fellowships. The same way there's order in the, in the, in the people, order in the uh, little children, order in the husbands, order in the wives, order in families, order in uh, uh, pastors, in elders, order everywhere. Because we serve a God of order. And for the non-believers, sometimes I speak to non-believers and I completely understand why they're non-believers. And in one sense, I'm thankful that they haven't been sucked into the craziness of the reason why they don't, they are rejecting towards the Lord. In some cases, I'm thankful for that. Because, you know, having conversations with non-believers, sometimes people say, well, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I see what's on TV. I go, I, I, I've gone to fellowships before and man, it's just straight up crazy. You know, like all these people were speaking in tongues, a little, you know, a two year old, they say he was speaking in tongues, but it was just gibberish and this. And I don't want, I don't want, I, 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 I can't accept that. It's crazy. And I have these conversations with the non-believers and I, you know, I don't blame you. And in one sense, I'm thankful that they didn't enter that. But to the non-believer, if you're listening and you're not a believer because of the corruption you see in churches, if you're not a believer because of the corruption you see in Christians, that's a bad reason. That's a bad, it's a good reason to be cautious, but it's a bad reason to take those individuals, to take that church and blame Jesus Christ. Don't do that. Don't do that. Peter, when Peter was having a conversation with the Lord, you know, Peter even says, you know, Lord, Lord, what about this guy over here? And the Lord says, Peter, what's that? What's that to you? Peter, what's that to you? You know, what I do with that guy, that's between him and me. But I'm talking to you, Peter. The same thing applies to you. If you're not a believer. Oh, I don't want to come to Jesus Christ because I went to this church and they were just, you know, crazy. Like, you know, a thousand people speaking in tongues, even the little babies. Oh, I went over to this church and the guy wanted me to tithe 500 bucks. Oh, I went to this church and the guy started saying, you know, to go lay on graves and all these things. I want nothing to do with that. And if that's you, you know, praise be to the Lord that you didn't get sucked into that because that's called false doctrine. It is not right according to scripture. But don't take their 
error and put it on Jesus Christ. He's going to deal. He's going to deal. He's going to clean house. Straight up, he will clean house. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some do it willingly and some they will just be forced down. Just like, you know, the, uh, 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 the foreskins that David, you know, had the foreskins. You see, they were dead. You, people say, oh, yeah, I've had these, uh, I've been in uh, 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 men's fellowships before on the listening side. And then the men say, well, you know, that's just because, you know, uh, David wanted to send a message, you know, so to, to, uh, to, to attack their masculinity and prove a point. No, it's circumcision of the dead. Circumcision of the dead. Much better is it to be circumcised while alive. And circumcision, you listen to our study through Romans, it's belief. You see? Every knee will bow and every every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you believe that while living, that's called circumcision. But the same can be said of the dead. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If that, you know, if that decision isn't made while living, that's called circumcision of the dead, just like with David. Except for those individuals, it's too late. The decision to believe and follow and trust and obey, obey Jesus Christ, it must be done while living. You see? To the non-believer, God loves you. God loves you. Be ye circumcised. Your male, be ye circumcised. Your female, be ye circumcised. It's not of the flesh. It's of the spirit. It's of the heart. Circumcision of the heart. You believe in Jesus Christ. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. You come back, you listen, and we grow together. We move on to perfection. Together. You're not alone. Together, oneness, koinonia, ecclesia, oneness. Hopefully one day in body, I long to meet all of you. But in spirit, how much better it will be, that beautiful and glorious day. And so understand here in Deuteronomy chapter 26, in verse 3, we must understand these transactions. The people unto the Lord, and then, you know, the priests unto the Lord, everything in service, in honor, and in praise, and in worship of the Lord. He is everything. And so there's this uh, this this first fruits in verse two. You see that shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, and then in verse three shall go to the one who was priest in those days and say to him, "I declare to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us." And now notice, now the priest has his job. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. You see, the person says in verse three, I declare to, I declare today to the Lord, your God says that to the priest. But then look in verse three, from a transactional standpoint, the priest shall take the basket out in verse four, the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord, your God. You see, in all cases for the people, your God, for the priest, 
your God. You see, it's very personal. Very personal. And if something gets off kilter with the priests, it comes at a heavy cost. Yes, for the priest. Absolutely for the priest. And, you know, for the family too. Look at Eli and his sons. But then at the same time, it happens to Israel too. It trickles down to Israel. And we're going to see that in our future studies in the Old Testament. You're going to see because of wicked kings in the camp of Israel, wicked rulers in the camp of Israel, you're going to see how the Lord responds, how it trickles down to the people. Wicked priests, we're going to see it. But when we understand this concept of the formula that must be right, we're also going to understand why the Lord does what he does. How he responds to disobedience. He responds to wickedness. And absolutely, he responds to obedience. Much better is it when the Lord responds to obedience. Because now comes the blessings of the Lord. You see? It's so beautifully simple. It's so wonderfully and beautifully simple. Thus fulfilling what our Lord says himself. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember Paul when he says, you know, that he's fearful for the saints in Corinth, that somebody might might come in and steer them away from the simplicity that is in, that is in Christ. There is an abundance of simplicity in Christ. But where are the pastors? Where are the teachers? To teach. To pour into the flock of God and say, look, this is what the Bible says. This is what the word of God teaches. You in honoring of the Lord, this is what you must do. This is a Christian conduct. Conduct that is becoming of a Christian. Conduct that is becoming of saints, the consecrated. You know, you can be in the military and it is entirely possible to be dishonorably discharged. There's honorable discharge. But then there's dishonorable discharge. Why does a guy get dishonorably discharged? Why does a gal get dishonorably di- discharged? Well, because of conduct unbecoming. You see? But conduct becoming as Christians. Remember how the Lord cleaned house in Corinth? It's very powerful when you understand the formula. Different pots. It's got to be right. You see? And so we see here in verse 5, And you shall answer and say, and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian. Now, we have to understand, if you've been walking with us for a while, a little refresher course. This is in reference to Jacob when he was in Canaan. That was from our studies in Genesis 42. If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember. I pray you remember. Genesis 42, Jacob is in Canaan. And this, this, when he says a Syrian, because that region of Canaan was in like the west, the kind of like the southwest corner of Syria. And you see this region of Canaan says, and you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian. This is reference to Jacob in Canaan. That's from our studies in Genesis 42. He says, about to perish. Remember this about to perish? That's referencing the famine that came to Egypt and all the surrounding areas, like all the surrounding areas to include Canaan. 
and about to perish. And he went down to Egypt and dwelt there. Now, that's from our study in Genesis 46, how Jacob went to Egypt and there was a reunion with his son, Joseph, a type of Christ. The reunion with his son, Joseph. And when that happened, when he came to Egypt to dwell and live there, as it says here in verse 5, few in number, and there he became a nation. It's very interesting when we see this through the Lord's eyes. Because, and there he became a nation. Now, carnally speaking, you figure, wow, you know, but Israel, they weren't really a nation. This is carnally speaking. They weren't really a nation. Yes, they were a people. They were in this Egyptian area here. But they weren't really a people. They didn't really, you know, they, they, you're saying that they, they, they were a nation? I love this so much because what the Lord does through studying the word, he confronts the carnal man. He confronts the carnal woman. He confronts the carnal boy. He confronts the carnal girl. He confronts the carnal old guy that confronts the carnal old lady. You see? He says in verse 5, and there he became a nation. This expansion of Israel. Great, mighty, and populous. Abundant is how it translates. From a carnal standpoint, you say, well, they weren't really a nation. What does the Lord say? They were a nation. They became a nation there. They grew mighty and populous. But in verse 6, the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. That's our study in Exodus. If you've been walking with us for a while, that's Exodus 1. Because now uh, Pharaoh saw Israel as a threat. Wow, look, they're prosperous. They're growing in number. They're growing in number. They're growing in number. They're growing more populous, more mighty. And now they're a threat. And so what happened? They put him in bondage. That's what happens when God becomes forgotten. And God was forgotten in Egypt. Don't forget that the Egyptians believed in God. Sometimes it kind of it, it, it people kind of go crazy over that. Like, what, what are you talking about? Egyptians believed in God, but God judged them. Yes, God judged them because they forgot the Lord. Remember, there was the famine. In our study in Genesis, there was the famine throughout all the land. And the Lord saved Egypt through Joseph. I mean, it was the Lord, but Joseph was his vessel. You see? And so all of Egypt was saved. Grace and mercy came to Egypt. God's grace and mercy. And in the course of time, that Pharaoh passed away. The next Pharaoh in line. And the, the, the lineage just happens that, you know, in the course of time, people just forgot. You see? And so you have the next Pharaoh. Instead of remembering history... What happens? The next Pharaoh says, oh my goodness, look at Israel. They're really growing. Oh my goodness, check this out. And just happened to forget that Egypt was saved by the Lord from the famine. Oh my goodness, look at these people over here. Now they're a threat. So we're going to put them in bondage. That's what happens when the Lord is forgotten. And that's just with Pharaoh. That's just in Egypt. What about for people? When the Lord is forgotten. Look at, you know, I teach from America. Look what happens. Like, you know, it used to be like in, in you know, decades ago. You'd say Pledge of Allegiance in, in, in classrooms. You know, one nation 
under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And then, you know, they remove that. Now look, you see the, the cesspool, people start to forget. Oh, you know, what, what's this under God thing? People start to forget. Oh, God, I don't like him. Too many rules. Now you have a generation of kids that do not know the Lord. And not just kids, you have adults that do not know the Lord. But you look at like, you know, earlier, you know, centuries ago, people knew the Lord. The Lord was taught. And when the Lord becomes forgotten, that's when you see nations become cesspools. But when the Lord becomes forgotten in people, you also see people become cesspools. Listen to our study through Romans 1. The wrath of God on individuals. But when you understand the concept of formulas being right, and you understand why the Lord responds the way he does, remember, he is reactionary. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. You say, wait a second. I'm not a Christian. Are you saying I'm under God's judgment? Well, number one, judgment is coming. The Lord responds to obedience. Yes. The Lord responds to disobedience. Yes. But the Lord also responds beautifully to repentance. See, you're not a believer. You need to repent. God loves you. So you have this little history lesson in these little verses in verse 5 and and verse 6. A little history lesson. And even in verse 7, then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers. Now, remember, what's happening here is Moses is telling this younger generation. Moses is telling this next generation who's going to pass through the promised land. Moses is telling them of this little history lesson that they have to answer in verse 5. Remember, you shall answer and say before the Lord your God. My father was a Syrian. Now, carnally speaking, imagine a youngster that, that's listening to Moses and be like, well, what? You know, my dad's this guy over here. And you're saying my, my dad is, you know, Jacob. You're referring to Jacob as my dad. Well, in terms of patriarchy, in terms of the patriarchy of Israel and Jacob, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, the whole thought pattern is different than the carnal sense. And yes, I say patriarchy. I've had long conversations with the feminists. You know, oh, you know, down with the patriarchy, down with the patriarchy. And you know, the, the little question that I like to pose from time to time is, you know, tell me about your patriarchy. Tell me about your 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 your, your uh, experience under the patriarchy that has formed this opinion of yours. Well, society is like this. Society is like. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I'm not talking about society. I'm not. Ta- I'm talking about you. Your experience under the a patriarchy that you, you are against. And almost all the time, they refer to their dad. Oh, my dad beat me. My dad molested me. My dad invited his friends over and they molested me. And all. it's like, look, that that's terrible. That's terrible. I don't want that on anybody. And the Lord doesn't want that. You are a victim of fallen man. But don't blame the ultimate patriarch on that. 
Your experience under that patriarchy was terrible. And I don't want anybody to be under that system of patriarchy, what you experienced. But there's an ultimate, there's a better patriarch. His name is Jesus Christ. And yes, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And yes, he loves you. You see? Picture the, the youngsters that are hearing Moses and they're like, wait a minute, my dad's, my dad's this guy. And you're talking about, you know, uh, in verse 5, my father was a Syrian, but my father's right here. But he's not addressing the... This is Israel according to the flesh, the Torah. But even Israel according to the flesh, you see passages like this where you must look according to the Spirit in terms of, well, you know, yes, this is my biological dad and in terms of the lineage of patriarchy, but you have to think differently, you see? You have to think differently in order to understand. In verse 7, then we cry out to the Lord God of our fathers. Now, in this little history lesson of you know Genesis and Exodus, all, all the way up to where we are, in this little history lesson, a person must think differently to understand. Kids, you know, think of the little ones of Israel who were born in bondage in Egypt. And then they grew up, remember, 40 years in the wilderness, that older generation, they passed away. But even think of the younger ones who were born in the wilderness and now they're adults. And what was known, or what at that moment in the, in the wilderness, what was known of God wasn't experiential, so to speak. Everything's reserved in the history books, so to speak. They have a choice to make. And I say this as a hardcore exhortation to my younger brothers, younger sisters in Christ. You might be 10 years old. You might be 15. And everything you know about the goodness of God you read about in Scripture, which is beautiful. Everything you know about the goodness of God you hear from other people. Hopefully, mom and dad. But it might not be mom and dad. Everything you know about the goodness of God is based on what you read in Scripture, which is beautiful. But it might not be experiential in terms of, like, directly unto you. That takes time. That takes time. You still have a choice to make. I've talked to young people before. And, you know, as soon as they turn 18, and I've had conversations with the 18-year-old, they're like, you know what? I'm done with Christ I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with Jesus Christ. I'm going to go over here, and I'm just going to live it up. And it's like, wow, you know, you're, you're killing me. And for the kid to tell me, he says, but one thing haunts me. One thing haunts me. I say, what's that? He says, I remember the lessons from Sunday school. And wow, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord because those very things that this young adult learned when he was just a little tiny kid, he remembers as a young adult. 
you see? And parents, an exhortation to parents too. You sow these little seeds in your children, like a little two-year-old. You sow these little seeds, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and they remember. You pray, just like gardening, you know, you put a seed in and you take care, you put the water, make sure the soil's good. pH, everything's like, you know, good to go. Water. And what happens in the course of time? You see the fruit. And for my young brothers and sisters, from an experiential standpoint, now I don't say this experience, I, I, I kind of say that with caution because we don't follow the Lord based on experience. But when you have intimacy with Him, I say this from experience that you will have experiences. It's just sometimes when you're under the shelter of mom and dad, which is beautiful, it is safe for you, my young brothers and sisters in Christ. It is safe for you. But then you leave. Now, it's not, um, you know, Satan bombards you when you leave. He bombards you. And, you know, if you're young, he will bombard you. Understand that he will absolutely bombard you. Attempt to pull you away and drag you away from Jesus Christ. It's in those moments where you have a choice to make. And that's when you encounter the Lord in a completely different way because you believe in the Lord, yes. And, you know, you believe in the God of, you know, mom and dad. But now it's like, wow, the Lord is my God. Because now your belief, it's there, but it's much deeper, much more palpable because it's like, boom, it's not, it's no longer like, you know, uh, I'm going to church with mom and dad. It's like, you know what? I believe in Jesus Christ and I go to church. We fellowship over here and wow, this is beautiful. But remember the formula's got to be right. I've talked to parents before who are terrified that their kids are going to leave home. Terrified that their kids are going to leave home. But that's more of a problem on the parent who did not train them properly. You see? I mean, carnally speaking, I say this specifically carnally speaking. I mean, if you have like a, like a straight up brawler, like a bruiser, like, you know, somebody's like, you know, go ahead and go over here because no one's going to mess with you. I mean, it's, it's almost like that mentality. You train your children, parents, you train your children to be like, you know, little warriors when they're little. But these little warriors, they're going to grow up and they're going to grow and be even stronger warriors. And their strength is in the Lord. And then when they turn 17, 18, and they look at you and say, bye-bye, mommy, bye-bye, daddy. You don't have to worry because you know, whoa, baby girl is tough. No one's going to mess with her. You see? You don't have to worry about the freak show coming to her saying, you know, hey, toots, let's go out. Let's go out for a date. Because she's going to say, get out of my face. You don't have to worry about these things. I mean, definitely pray and intercede. But at the same time, you know, I've had these conversations with parents who worry. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my son's over here. Oh, my goodness. My daughter's over here. What do I do? What do I do? It's like, what do you, what do you mean? What do you do? Of course, pray. But what you, you say, what do you do? But it should be, what should you have done when, you know, 
She was five years old when she was 10 years old, when she was 12, 13, and now, now it's kind of too late. You can't be, you know, that, that, you know, that protective bubble. Don't expect that forever for your kids. Remember this generation that's passing into the promised land. Some of them, these are things that they've only heard about because they were born in the wilderness. These are things that they've only heard about. They've never, that experience of them with the Lord isn't like it was with their, you know, their past generations. They, they, you know, they've only heard that, you know, okay, that, that, that we passed through the promise, we passed on dry ground, that the Lord, you know, the Lord uh, opened the waters and we passed on dry ground. But we didn't see that. You see? Faith is required. Faith is required. We're in the straight up Torah. And yet faith is required. Now remember, a measure of faith is given to everyone. Faith can grow. Faith can also die. I don't like saying that. It hurts me. It pains me to say that. But faith can also die. But we want faith to grow. Inside of us, inside of our offspring, inside of those, you know, like in fellowship, inside of the saints. We want faith to grow. You see? It's powerful. And you see how the conditions of Egypt, when Israel was in bondage, and how the Lord became forgotten, yes, in Egypt, but then also in Israel, how the Lord became forgotten. You say, wait a second, how could this be? Yes, how could it be? But when the Lord told Moses to go back to, to Egypt, he said, you know, the Lord said, Moses says, you know, what do I do? You know, how, what, do I, what do I do? And the Lord tells him, go to the old people. You see, go to the old people. It's so incredible. Because a lot of times, you know, people think, okay, the vibrance is, you know, in the youth. But I see it the opposite. The vibrance is in the old people who have, you know, their memory spans even further back. And they've had, you know, all this time, this experience in walking with the Lord to pour into the younger generation. You see, a lot of times... People think, oh, you know, you know, the, the Lord is with the younger generation and look all this vibrancy in the church. And yes, the Lord is with the younger generation. And okay, you old people, okay, you're kind of fizzling out. To my old brothers and sisters, if you're over age 40, <laughs> don't believe that. That's craziness. The Lord could do mighty things. With, look how old Moses was when the Lord was doing a mighty work in him. He was an old guy. You see Moses, you know, walking up a mountain, walking down a mountain. He's no he's spring chicken. He's an old codger. And yet being used mightily in the Lord. You see? It's very powerful. People say, oh yeah, the Lord can't do anything with the old people. What are you talking about? That's what, look at Moses. The young people don't have that depth of knowledge, that depth of history, that depth of walking with him. 
Now, I say this, you know, under, if you're old, you know, I, I, I make the assumption that you've been walking with the Lord for a long period of time. If you're 80 years old and you just became a Christian yesterday, well, you know, this doesn't apply to you. <laughs> you're you're a, a brand new baby in Christ. And praise be to the Lord, not to knock the old people. But if you're 80 years old and you became a Christian today, praise be to the Lord. Now we grow. Now we mature in Christ. But if you're 80 years old and you became a Christian when you were like 10 years old, Look at all that time, the depth of knowledge and experience of walking with the Lord and how you can pour into the younger generation. You see? But these formulas in saints, all the little pots, they're going to get challenged in the last days. And they are being challenged today. False doctrine, which is on the rise. On the rise. It's one of the signs of the last days. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus Christ, Lord, what is the sign of your coming? What is the the sign of the end of the age and the sign of your coming? And the Lord says, there will be many false prophets. Many false prophets, false teachers, propagating false Christs. Many Christs in the last days. But the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, whose word is above his name. That's why you hear us say from time to time, you know, learn to make bread, store your oil, being, being understanding that knowledge is a gift of the Spirit because you'll know. The Spirit of the Lord isn't going to lead you into danger and harm's way. The Spirit of the Lord will lead you to safety all the time, 100% of the time. But a different spirit will lead you to hell. You see? The Spirit of the Lord will always, 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 always lead you in safety. Always. But even there's sensitivities there. Sensitivities because you and me, we have to be Bereans. Understanding the scriptures. Applying wisdom. Because these days are evil. And so you see in verse 7, And then we cried out to the Lord, God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. Yes, terror. Absolutely terror. Listen to our studies in, in Exodus. There is great terror when the Lord makes himself known. There is great terror. And it's super scary for those who don't know him. You see? Absolutely terrible for those who don't know him. I mean, when the Lord made himself known in Egypt, look at Israel, look at Egypt. You see? Good for Israel, safe for Israel, not so good for Egypt. You see? People tell me all the time, oh, don't scare people to Jesus. Don't scare, don't give the gospel. Don't, 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 don't tell people to come to Christ and scare them to, what? There's some, to not believe in Jesus Christ, that's scary. That's like straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's straight up hellfire damnation. Eternally. I don't know about you, call me crazy, but that's scary. I don't want that on anybody. You see? Come to Christ. You see? 
worked wonders for me. And I say that from experience. Because when I first heard about like the straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth, I was scared. I don't want to be on the receiving end of God's wrath. I don't want that. So I came to him. I believed in him. See, worked wonders for me and here we are. Now, remember, to certain people, the Lord spoke in the Gospels, to certain people, he spoke about hellfire damnation. To certain people. Because, you know, sometimes that's the very thing that would rock somebody's world as it was in my case. But then you look at the woman at the well, he didn't talk about hellfire damnation. He gave her water, you see. He told her about living water, you see. Beautiful. So some people, you know, hellfire damnation, yes, it's scary. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, yes, it's scary. But other people believe in Jesus Christ and come to Jesus Christ because of the living water. They say, wow, I want this living water. For me, it was the other way around. I was like, wow, I don't want to burn. I don't want weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to eat hellfire damnation. I don't want to be in the lake of fire. And once that happened, then came, wow, I want this living water. You see? People say, oh, don't scare people. It's scary. But in order for me to have the living water and understand and desire living water, I had to understand, you know, straight up hellfire damnation, straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth, straight up lake of fire. I had to understand that when I didn't understand that because I, I did not have the fear of the Lord. Once I had the fear of the Lord, yes, regarding eternal damnation, hellfire, you know, brimstone, the whole nine yards, weeping and gnashing of teeth, burning in hell for all eternity. Okay, that got my attention. You see? Yes, Lord, I believe in you. And in believing in him, all of a sudden it's like, wow, I want this living water. But some people, they already have a, you know, a little element of the fear of the Lord. And so, boom, straight to living water. See? And so we continue in verse 9. He has brought us to this place and he has, and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the promised land. This is Israel according to the flesh. Entering the promised land. But for you and me, there is a promised land according to the Spirit. It's called paradise. Notice, very important to notice, that affliction came before rescue. Very important. Affliction before rescue. I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. Why? Because it's not found in Scripture. That's why. Now, to my brothers and sisters in Christ whom I love, who are into the pre-tribulation rapture theory, it is only a theory. I love you, and I don't want to rock your world to the point where it's like, you know, you fall away. But there is a threat to those in the pre-tribulation doctrine, rap, the pre-tribulation rapture theory. There is a threat. Listen to our studies through, one of them is called uh, Jacob's Trouble, biblically explained, and the next one is called When is the Rapture? You listen to those two studies and you'll understand more. I do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. We're at the very 
verge of the 70th week of Daniel is about to happen. Look at all the factions in previous decades, you know, in the 90s from, you know, the uh, Oslo Accords and, you know, uh, from from then on, it's always been certain nations, America, European Union, uh, United Nations even. There's always been these efforts for peace with Israel and her neighbors, Israel and the uh, Palestinians, and Israel and surrounding Arab countries. There's always, There's been these prior... Peace agreements, but nothing really stuck. And now, for such a time as this, we're seeing the converging of multiple countries, Arab countries, Egypt and uh, 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 Saudi Arabia and, uh, you know, the Abraham Accords. We're starting to see in conjunction with the United States, European Union, uh, 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 European countries, uh, Asian countries, Japan, China. Everybody's on board with peace in the Middle East. And at the same time, we're also seeing in present day news, we're already seeing, well, we know we've seen what's happened in Afghanistan. We've seen what we read about in the news, what's happened with Afghanistan, what is happening in Afghanistan. We read about and see what is happening in Kazakhstan. We read about and see what's happening in Ukraine. And what do you see? According to scripture, You see, the land of Magog, it is expanding. It is growing for such a time as this. And at the same time, we see this global, more widespread global effort for peace in the Middle East. Meanwhile, Magog is growing. While also, meanwhile, the Euphrates River is drying. Now, We've seen that before. We, 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 we've mentioned that before, the Euphrates River drying. But prophetically speaking, it doesn't just dry for nothing. It's to make way for the kings of the east when they attack Israel, the battle of Armageddon. All these things are happening for such a time as this. We're at the very cusp of the 70th week of Daniel. Once that starts, it's the final seven years of world history. We're at the very verge of the 70th week. To my pre-tribulation rapture, brothers and sisters in Christ whom I love, listen to our studies through Jacob's trouble biblically explained and when is the rapture? Listen and understand. Very, very perilous times that we live in. And just as we see here, we, we, we see this affliction before rescue. I mean, note in verse 6, the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. And then in verse 8, so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand or with an outstretched arm. In verse 9, he brought us to this place. Notice, before the rescue was affliction. There is a time of affliction. During that, during the 70th week, the first half of the 70th week, it will be peace, but it will be fake peace. In the middle of the 70th week, that is the very beginning of straight up hell on earth. Great tribulation. And the cost of being a Christian will be very heavy. 
Very, very heavy. Perilous times. The Bible, you know, we're told perilous times for a reason. Store your oil. Because lambs will go out. And lambs are already going out. In verse 10, we see here, And now, behold, I have brought the first, the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Remember, in this transaction, remember when we started, you know, there's a, multiple transactions. You know, in this transaction, this is what the person says in in remembrance, because remember, you know, they, they, they in uh, in verse three, you shall go to the priest, the one who is priest in those days. And then in verse four, the priest shall take the basket, you know, the offering of the first fruits. Remember verse two, you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground. But then now in verse five, you shall answer and say before the Lord, your God. And then this little history, history passages History passages for all the future generations of Israel. All these little history passages, verse 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, all these little, and verse 9, all these little history passages. Why? So that the next generation won't forget. So that they can remember, 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 remember. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. You see? All these things repeated throughout all future generations. And what we see here in verse 10 when he says, I have brought the first fruit of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. This is to those who have ears to hear. This is on the to-do list of the Messiah. Jesus. Turn with me really quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we see here in verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and his, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or the first fruits of those who have died. For since by man came death. Notice the lowercase m here. For since by man came death, that's referencing Adam, born into Adam. And since by man came death, notice by man, capital M, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Christ the first fruits. Remember in verse 20, he has become the first fruits of those who have died. Now, verse 23, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. That's the saint. That's the saint. Those who are Christ at his coming. The first fruits. The gathering of the saints, glorified bodies. Oh, death, where is your sting? Entry into paradise. And what happens with entry into paradise? Notice, just like we looked at it in Deuteronomy 26, in verse 10, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. That's on the 
to-do list of the Messiah. Don't forget all these things. Deuteronomy, as is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And the Lord gives us the blueprints of this time during the days of Moses and the times in the days of Noah, according to the flesh, the days of Elijah, according to the flesh, and also the days of Noah, according to the spirit. That's today. The days of Elijah, according to the Spirit, that's today. But who has ears to understand? Let us be first fruits to the honor and glory of our Lord. Let us be first fruits and lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us. You hear us talk about all the time, you know, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, you know, the Buddha, the, the white lies, the occult, the Ouija boards, all these different things. It's said for a reason. It's said for a reason. Because we are the first fruits. Let us stay first fruits in offering unto the Lord. The gathering of the saints. Understanding how the Old Testament teaches us about entry into the promised land. And this is according to the flesh. But how much more for you and me according to the spirit? You see? And to my Jewish friends, the rabbi listeners whom I love. This isn't, you know, I'm not John Piper who teaches blasphemous things. I'm not John Piper. I'm not Gospel Coalition. There is plenty to be concerned about their diatribe. There is no such thing as replacement theology, which they teach. I don't teach poison. That's replacement theory, which is a lie from the pit of hell. All of Israel shall be saved. And it's the Gentiles who are grafted in. The branch doesn't support the root. It's the other way around. But don't forget to my rabbi and Jewish friends. And, you know, rabbis are Jewish, but I'm talking about, you know, if you're Jewish, but you're not a rabbi. To all my Jewish friends, male, female, young, old, I don't care. I love you. Understand the stump. The shoot of Jesse. See? To those who have ears. Continuing in our study in Deuteronomy 26, in verse 10, And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. You see? This is an Old Testament example of saints in paradise. Worship before the Lord. All of the first fruits. True. Koinonia, Ecclesia. You see? Oneness. One body. In verse 11, So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given you. This is so beautiful because, you know, just like in, 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 in James chapter 1 verse 17, that every good and perfect gift is from above the Father of lights. 
from the Father of lights. You see, who are the lights? Well, where is the oil? Lights will go out in the last days as people run out of oil for their lamps. Which is why you hear us say all the time, store your oil. The lamps with oil. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. James chapter 1 verse 17. You see how powerful it is to have this Old Testament understanding in tandem with New Testament understanding as New Covenant believers and vice versa to study the New Testament, but then also have the backdrop of the Old Testament to understand like, oh my goodness, Lord. Lord, what have you done? And I don't mean like, what have you done in a bad way? I mean, what have you done in a glorious way? Like, how is it, Lord, that any of us, any of us are counted worthy to even utter your holy name? It's Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. You see? So we continue in verse 11. And your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Okay, in, in verse 9, he said, you know, in verse 11, so you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given you. And your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Notice all the camp. All the camp. Now, there isn't no social gospel like, oh, look, there's a rich guy over here. Oh, let's not hate the rich guy. You know, eat the rich, down with the rich. Or, you know, from the uh, uh, the, the rich people say, oh, yeah, look at these poor people. Oh, yeah, they're just the poor people. Let them stay on the other side of the tracks, you know. No, it's oneness. The social gospel that we see spreading in the last days, it's in accordance to demonic activity. It's in accordance to an antichrist spirit. Because in the body of Christ, we are one. And I'm talking about the body of the real Christ. I'm not talking about the ecumenical movement that we see rising today. Propagated by the mother of harlots. Beast from the earth. Which we see on the rise. Oneness. Oneness in the camp. In verse 12. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of, tithe of the increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat. Notice this. This tithing is for another's food. A little message for pastors. Tithes. Tithes are for food. But the spiritual food, which is the word of God, the bread of life. It's not for mansions. Tithes are not for mansions. Tithes are not for yachts. Tithes are not for private jets. If you're listening and you have a pastor that has... That, that takes the ties and buys the mansions and buys the yachts and buys the fancy cars and, you know, has the private jets, run. Run away from such a person. That is not a pastor. That is a wolf. It is a hireling for sure. But also most likely a wolf. Run. 
Come out of her, my people. These tithes are so that the people may eat. Is written here in verse 12, within your gates and be filled. Notice within the gates, inside the camp. Inside the camp. Remember when there was the uh, famine in the book of Acts and uh, Agabus, the prophet? What was happened? You know, they took uh, uh, extra offerings. They took they had this, these proceeds. And then in Jerusalem, what happened to the poor saints? Remember the diaspora? And in the diaspora, you know, it's very easy for wealthy people to leave. Very easy to just move. You know, okay, so we take a loss over here. No big deal. Better for taxes. So we take a loss over here. No big deal. No biggie. But what about the poor people? And so when it was prophesied that, you know, wow, there's going to be a famine in the land. I love this. When you see the Bible and prophecy in the Bible, yes, there's uh, 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 prophetic uh, passages about, uh, you know, certain things that are going to happen on a global scale. And yes, it's beautiful. But then at the same time, people who have the gift of prophecy, which is a gift, it's not the greatest gift. People who have the gift of prophecy, prophecy from the Holy Spirit, specifically to help the saints, just like Agabus. You know, hey, there's going to, you know, the Lord gave me a prophecy. Well, what's the prophecy? There's going to be a famine. And notice how in, in, in when you read the book of Acts, if you remember our study in the book of Acts, now you see how there were provisions, how the church responded. It didn't respond to go and, you know, feed everybody. No. Took care of the camp. Saints. You see? Now it's true that, you know, people could come into the camp because we're Christians. It is written even in the law, you know, provisions for uh, uh, Gentiles to be grafted in. And remember, in Christ, there's no Jew nor Gentile. There are provisions for new covenant saints, for non-believers to enter, to come in. And that door is Jesus Christ, to believe in Jesus Christ. We're not like habitat for humanity. Oh, I'm going to do this for humanity's sake. No, it's for the name of Jesus Christ. Notice how this gift of prophecy in the book of Acts it's not so a guy can be puffed up. Oh, look, I have the gift of prophecy. Look how awesome I am. Which happens today. No, it's to care for the saints. Hey, there's a famine coming. How do you know? The Lord told me. You see? And when you see the formula is right in an individual. Okay. Okay, you, you know, the Lord has given you the gift of prophecy. And so we're going to prepare for this famine. The formula is right in this individual, such as uh, Philip and his prophetess daughters. Remember our study in the book of Acts? But when the formula isn't right, the grave soakers, they go and lay on a grave. And then they say, oh, thus saith the Lord. That ain't the Lord. You've been soaking up another spirit. That ain't the Lord. Oh, but thus saith the Lord. I'm going to give you prophecy. Nope, that's poison. I'm not listening to that. See, remember the formula that will help you. Because so many people today, they, oh, you know, the Lord, the Lord put this on my heart and he wants me to tell you this. And it's like, wait a second. 
Look, I can look at social media and look, you're, you're just at the strip club. You're, you're, you're just getting drunk. And you're going to tell me the Lord told you something that I'm not listening to that. The formula's not even right in you. You see? Then people say, oh, what you see in the book of Acts, that's for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. That's a lie. Now the Holy Spirit might not do it in them. The power of the Spirit might not be in them, which is, you know, that's, it's sad, but that's between them and the Lord. Doctrinally speaking, there's no expiration date on the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not find that. There are people today who have the gift of prophecy. But I tell you the truth, they are few and far between. You don't, they're not going to be on TV, you know, like, oh, look how awesome I am. You're not going to see them. I mean, you might, but I meant they're few and far between because it's nothing that they boast in. Remember, look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. They called him the lonely prophet for a reason. He was alone for a reason. Because people were following the so-called learned class. I'm doing my air quotes. The so-called learned class. The priests, their different prophets. But what was the Lord saying to Jeremiah? Those aren't my guys. You're my guy, Jeremiah. I'm paraphrasing. You see? Notice what happens here. That this tithe, the tithing is so that they can eat within your gate, within the gates and be filled. Verse 13. Notice in the beginning of verse 12 says, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe, tithe, in verse 13, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe. The holy tithe. Notice, the holy tithe. Now this is provisions. The, the holy tithe, it's not just money or grain. It's, it's not just that. You know, today, you know, what, you know, like tithes and offering, it's not just money or a tip. No, hey God, you know, you know, thank you for this, Lord. And, you know, here's a tip. Here's your, here's your 10%, Lord. I'll give you a little something extra, you know, here, you know, take this. We have to rid ourselves of the carnal mindset. It's holy unto the Lord. Holy unto the Lord. You work for a living. Work as unto the Lord. You receive income from said vocation. You receive income. You receive a paycheck. That money that you receive is holy unto the Lord. The portions which you use, okay, I'm going to pay my my rent, I'm going to pay my mortgage, I'm going to pay utilities, holy unto the Lord, thankfulness unto the Lord. Okay, there's this portion which goes, it's holy unto the Lord. All of it is holy unto the Lord. The work, it's as you work unto the Lord, it's holy unto the Lord. It's not just, okay, I have this job, I get my paycheck, okay, here, Lord, here's your take, here's your cut, Lord. No. We have to rid ourselves of carnal thinking. 
It is written here in verse 13. <clears throat> I have removed the holy tithe from my house, from my house, and also have given them to the Levites. So from the person, from my house, and then to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandment, nor have I forgotten them. Now, this is very personal. This isn't something for the priests. This isn't something for the Kohanim or the Levites. This is for all the camp of Israel. And this is very personal. And in the course of time, in our studies in the Old Testament, and even the New Testament, you're going to see multitudes forget. Multitudes transgress, but not the remnant. Not the remnant. And that's what's so powerful about understanding this concept of formula. In accordance to Torah. Because once we're done with Deuteronomy, now we're going to see, okay, Israel, balls in your court. The Lord laid it down. Now, you know, balls in your court, Israel. And you're going to see the Lord respond to disobedience. The Lord responds to wickedness. The Lord responds to obedience. The Lord responds. He is reactionary. And so this very verse right here, you know, when it's written that... uh, uh, in verse 13, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandment, nor have I forgotten. It's so incredibly personal. It's a personal choice for each individual to make, male, female. It doesn't matter. And multitudes will forget, but not the remnant. Not the remnant. Look at Eli, the high priest. And then look at Hannah. I mean, okay, I'm so in love with Hannah. But if you were to take, carnally speaking, if you were to take Eli and put Hannah right next to him, so you have the two, and you know, Hannah's just wearing her regular garb, but then you look at Eli and he's wearing the priestly garb. And then the question were asked, who, who is the Lord speaking? Who is the Lord working through? Carnally speaking, the vast majority, if not 100%, would say, surely it's Eli. But no. Surely it was Hannah. And the Lord heard her cry and opened her womb. And she fulfilled her vow. Remember how the Lord takes vows? We studied that in Leviticus. How the Lord is very serious with vows. And Hannah vowed her child to the Lord. She gives birth to little baby Samuel. And when he's a kid, not when he's an adult, when he's a kid, she gives him in service to the Lord. And I mean, like, give, like, you know, puts him up for adoption or anything, but I meant she, like, okay, here, Lord, I made this, you know, this vow unto you, and here I'm fulfilling my vow. Here's my son. And she was barren. No child, and now she's taking her child and giving him to the Lord. Carnally speaking, virtually impossible. Unfathomable. Unfathomable. 
But can you see how beautiful it is? For Hannah to take her son and here, Lord, in fulfillment of my vows. What about the vows that Eli made? And him dishonoring his vows. And look at how his influence impacted his kids because his kids were crazy. But they're in the priesthood. Carnally speaking, you figure, wow, the Lord is with the priests. Wow, look, the Lord is with his sons. Look, he's, he's raising them up. Look, they're, they're going to be the next generation and serving the Lord in, in, in temple. But when little Samuel grew up, who did the Lord speak to? Not to Eli. Not to Eli's sons. He spoke to Samuel. See, the Lord sees, the Lord knows. That's why we look at passages like this in verse 13. According to all your commandments, which you have commanded, I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. It's very personal. Moses is saying it to this next generation. But then how it's received, it's a different ballgame. Moses committed in his heart, he purposed in his heart, you know, this is the, this is the walk, this is, this is my life. I'm going to honor you, Lord. This, this, this is it, you and me. And then Moses lays it down. Now the ball's in the people's court. They have a choice to make. Some of them will very quickly forget. Some of them will slowly forget. Some of them across multiple generations will forget. And they will transgress. But when you have eyes to see, you notice things like Hannah. She's different. You notice things like little Samuel. He's different. Like Isaiah. Like Jeremiah. Like Amos. He's different. You see? The Lord surely notices them. Look how he honors them. I mean, they honor him, but he honors them. I mean, he opened uh, the womb of Hannah. Look how he honors them. And in, in, not that he honors them like, you know, there's exaltation in terms of, you know, worship unto them. No. But how he honors them in carrying on the word of God. How Isaiah could even utter the words, thus saith the Lord. How Jeremiah could even utter the words, thus saith the Lord. Now, in Jeremiah's days, you had multiple prophets. All of them would say, thus saith the Lord. But the formula was right in Jeremiah. And the Lord says of all the other prophets, those aren't my guys. I'm not speaking to them. and I'm not speaking through them. I'm not with them. Jeremiah, I'm with you. Why? Because Jeremiah, you're with me. You see, and how is Jeremiah treated? The lonely, the weeping prophet. You see? Just like we studied several weeks ago when you hear, you know, uh, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And he's, you know, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's dangerous to follow that guy. You follow that guy and do like he says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's straight up burning in hell. 
But then you have a Paul, a Timothy, a Titus, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's safe. Just like in Jeremiah's day. And when you understand the concept of formula, you know, a guy goes to the strippers, goes to the uh, gambling and says, oh, thus saith the Lord. That ain't the Lord. Oh, come here, brother. The Lord wants me to tell you something. That ain't the Lord. I'm not going to receive that. You can say it, but I'm not even listening to it. You know, go ahead and say it. I can't control you, you know. You can say it, but it's it's nothing to me. Because I see the formula in you. This concept of formula inside of a pot, inside of the vessel. We must know this and understand this at a different level than past times because these days are evil and it is prophesied of falling away, the apostasy. It will help you. Understanding that it is prophesied for lamps to go out because they have no oil. But there's something different about the remnant. You see? Notice in verse 14. I have not eaten any of it when in, when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use. Very interesting what we see here. Because in verse 13, the beginning says, Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. That tithe is holy. Remember, you go to work, you know, you work as unto the Lord. You get a paycheck, you that paycheck is as unto the Lord. You take a portion of that paycheck, you pay your rent, pay your mortgage, pay your utilities, pay your light, pay whatever. But it's holy. Because it's you, you work as unto the Lord. You earn income, a, a, a blessing of the Lord from the Lord. And it's all holy. And what is written here in verse 14? Nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use. And what do we see in the church today? Oh, I'm good to go here. Let me write my check for 10%. I'll give you like the Bible says, 10%. Here's your 10%, Lord. Here, I'm going to give this to you, Lord. Meanwhile, I'm going to take this extra 100 bucks and I'm going to go to the strippers. Oh. Meanwhile, I'm going to take this hundred bucks and I'm going to go to the casino. Maybe I can turn it into a thousand. I don't want to take this hundred bucks and I'm going to buy my drugs. I'm going to go to the corner and buy my crack. Buy my meth, you know, nice and cheap. I'm going to go to the, you know, the, the liquor store. Buy some vodka. Take the edge off. I had a rough day at the office. All these things cost money. The strippers cost money. The gambling costs money. The drugs cost money. The alcohol costs money. It all costs money. And if that's you, number one, repent. Number two, don't tithe. Do not tithe. When you repent, you present your body a living sacrifice. And you get real with the Lord. You have to be honest with yourself. Don't don't kid yourself. 
Oh, yeah, I'm good to go. I just, you know, a couple strippers over here, a little gambling over here. No big deal. No, it's a huge deal. Everything is holiness unto the Lord. You work unto the Lord. You earn income from the Lord. Everything, a blessing unto the Lord. And you take a portion of that money and you're going to do your 10% and then you're also going to go to the strippers? You're also going to go to the casino? You're also going to go to the, the, the corner and get some crack? Buy a bottle of vodka? Some whiskey? Take the edge off, rough day at the office? No. You see? Notice verse 14. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use. But yet, what do we see in the church today? You see? Different avenues of dirty money. Now, I have something to say. If you're in um, an industry that doesn't honor the Lord, I know there's easy money in certain trades that are very carnal in a very literal sense. If you happen to be like a bartender, maybe you hear me talk about the strippers and you yourself are a stripper. God loves you. God loves you. You repent. You come to the Lord. And don't do those things anymore. Just as Jesus Christ says, go and sin no more. I don't care what, I really don't care what your background is. I mean, in terms of sin, I mean, like if, if you were like, you know, abused, you know, I care about that. But you're like, you know, the drug, the alcohol, the stripper, you know, the prostitute. I don't care. Everybody's filthy when they come to Christ. Everybody is filthy when they come to Christ. But in Christ, we're cleansed. And that's where I want you. You're a stripper. You repent. You believe in Jesus Christ. Hit pause. Listen to the message. How to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. You like, do you do the gambling and stuff? You, same thing. We come to Jesus Christ. Every single one of us filthy. Filthy. Just as Deuteronomy says, just as Moses says, don't forget that you were in Egypt. And for Christians that get on their high horse, those who are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. When you're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, make sure you get in the corners too. Because you want to get on a high horse? That's filthiness before the Lord. You see? Get behind the ears. Get in all the corners, the nooks and crannies. Why? Because we show compassion. God's grace, His love, His mercy. Always with wisdom. But don't forget that you too were in bondage. You too were in Egypt. Don't forget. Remember, 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 because Christians today get on a high horse. Oh, look, I'm of the elect. 
you are predestined for hell and I am predestined for heaven. Therefore, I am awesome and you're just nothing. It would have been better if God did, if you weren't even born because look, you're predestined for wrath, for hell. See, not only is that not compassionate, it is also false doctrine in accordance to Calvinism and Reformed theory. You see, you're, into, you're a Calvinist and Reformed? I say unto you, come out of her, my people, and you listen to our studies through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand more. Biblical predestination. You'll understand. And you repent and leave that fellowship because they teach poison. Those are the ones who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Why? Because once saved, always saved. You can do anything. It's a lie. It's a trap. For the last day's saint. See? And when you understand this concept of the formula being right in every aspect, every area of parenting, of being a husband, of being a wife, and being a child, and you know, submitting to parents, and you know, getting a job and earning income, and the formula's got to be right. You're able to see the handiwork of the Lord. You're able to see it. Why? Because remember, he responds to obedience. It's called the blessings of the Lord. A lot of Christians today do not have eyes to see. But the blind follow the blind and both fall into a ditch. It is written. What do you see in the church today? A lot of people in ditches. You see? The Christ we follow, his word is above his name. The formula's got to be right. And so we see, nor have I removed, in verse 14, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. Today we have this rising trend in the church. I'm doing my air quotes when I say church. Among the grave soakers, Bethel, out of Redding, California. Bill Johnson. If that's you, if you have a pastor that says, let's go grave soaking, let's go lay on the graves and soak up this spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit you're soaking. Repent. Leave. Leave that fellowship. You tithe and make offerings into that fellowship and they have, you know, you, you, they get a bus. You know, they spend the money to get a bus. They probably had the bus already, but they spent the money to buy the bus. Oh, we're going to have a youth group. We're going to go have this youth group trip. Where are we going? We're going to the graves. Why? What's at the graves? We're going to go lay on. We're going to take your kids, parents. We're going to have a nice fellowship, the kids, you know, boys and girls. Don't worry. We'll keep things, you know, everything's going to be clean. The boys on one bus, the girls on another bus. Don't worry. And parents are like, oh, good. They're, they, they're, they got my kids' best interest. Look, the girls are over here, the boys are over here. What are you guys going to do? Oh, we're youth leaders and we're ordained by the Lord and we're going to go grave soaking. We're going to take your daughters and lay them on graves so that they can soak up the spirit. And parents, oh, look, they keep our kids safe. Look, the boys over here, the girls over here, everything's on the up and up. No, that is not on the up and up. It's an abomination before the Lord. 
And as is written here in verse 14, yes, this he says, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, notice, nor given any of it for the dead. And that's what the grave soakers are doing. You go to a fellowship where they do the grave soaking, that's what you're doing. It's a, Not only is it an unclean use, but it's also in support of something that's an abomination before the Lord, necromancy. You see? Look at what the tithes are funding. What pastor do you know that says don't give? What pastor do you know that says don't give? But it's just the other way around. Pastor said, oh, you know, if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, you're going to give an extra. Look, I know we passed around the offering plate and we're going to offer it again. We're going to pass it around again and you can give a little bit more, a little extra something, something. For the saints of the Most High. Take inventory. Take notice of where the money is going. Pastor wants to buy his yacht? Get a new pastor. Pastor wants to take your kids grave soaking? Men's ministry and take the men grave soaking? Ladies ministry and take the ladies grave soaking? Get on a bus and take your kids? Parents think, oh yeah, everything. Look, kids, we want you to be, you know, socially interactive with kids your age. Okay, here, get on the bus. It's good for you, kid. Baby girl's grave soaking. Straight up necromancy. Baby girl or, you know... All, all, all sanctioned by the parents who have forgotten the lesson of the millstone. You hear a say from time to time, come out of her, my people. It's said for a reason. Because there is danger in everything that is not of Christ. And everything that is not in Christ, there is danger. The only safety we have is in Jesus Christ, whose word is above his name. That is the only safety we have. And it is he in whom we abide. Not the fake, not the phony, not the imposter. Not the, not the TV show. Everybody, oh, watch this TV show. Look, it's about Jesus. In accordance to Mormonism, which is a different Jesus. You see, if you're Mormon, I love you, but repent. The Jesus you believe in is not the biblical Jesus. You're in danger. Hit pause. Listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life. I don't care. You're stripper. Commit your life to Christ. You're Mormon. Commit your life to Christ. You're Calvinist. Commit your life to Christ. You're uh, Catholic. Commit your life to Christ. He said, oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. Which one? Which one? Straight up. Remember, Jesus, the real Jesus says there's going to be many Christs. Which one? The one that says grave soaking? Wrong Jesus. The one that's the spirit brother of Satan? Wrong Jesus. The one that says God is done with Israel? Wrong Jesus. The one that says take the mark of the beast? You'll still be safe? Wrong Jesus. Straight up. Let's be honest. Our loyalty is to Jesus Christ, not to a church. Oh, 
but my kids, their best friends go here. That's nice. Bring them with you. Jump ship together. Is your soul not of value? Mormon? J-Dub? Catholic? Is your soul not worth it? Because to God, it's worth it. He sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Through him might be saved. Through the real Jesus might be saved. You're in the fake, you're in trouble. You see? Notice in verse 14, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Notice, this is very personal. Just as we said earlier, this is very personal. Multitudes will forget. Multitudes will transgress. But there's something different about the remnant, which you'll notice when you read the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. Wow, this, this guy is different. This lady is different. Chloe? Look at when Corinth was in straight up crazy town. The disgusting things when we study. You know how difficult that was to even teach those things? I mean, like get down and dirty into the weeds. That's difficult to, to touch on. Remember I told you about my love-hate relationship with Corinth? Certain passages were very, very difficult. but yet very necessary for us to understand so that we can learn together the fear of the Lord. Together. Oneness, koinonia. Not in accordance to the beast of the earth, from the earth, the rise of the mother of harlots. Oh, unity, unity, unity. Unity with the mother of harlots will kill you. There's no safety in that. It has the appearance of holiness. But it is straight up satanic, demonic. And that's what you see on the rise in these last days. This interfaithism. But it is written, it must happen. I mean, you look at the world today, you're like, wow, this is crazy. Look at this thing happen over here, over here, over here. It must happen. It absolutely must happen. All of scripture, every jot, every tittle will come to pass. It's not like, you know, oh, you're Mormon. I hate you. No, it's Mormon. I love you. Get out of there. That's not safe for you. J-Dub, I love you. It's not safe for you there. Stripper, I love you. It's not safe for you there. You come to Christ. Here, take my hand. Come to Christ. Let's learn. And let's get, let's get you cleaned up. How does that happen? The Word of God. And I tell you from experience. I was filthy when I came to Christ. Filthy. I don't tell you these things like, oh, you know, the guy on TV said that, so I'm going to you know repeat it to you. Or I read this book about this, so he says, say this. Okay, I'm going to say this to you. No tell you from experience I was filthy before the Lord and he cleaned me and he'll do the exact same with you you're a meth head come to Christ 
Allow him to cleanse you. That means you have to yield to him. And that happens through his word. We study the word of God together. Oneness, intimacy, koinonia, ecclesia. See? And you're going to see in these little passages, very personal. In verse uh, 13, you know, according to your commandments, which you have commanded, I have not transgressed your commandment, nor have I forgotten them. And you're going to see in the course of time, people forget. Verse 14, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. And you're going to see, we're going to study these things. People forget, people don't obey. then you're going to understand why the Lord responds the way he does. People say, I don't like to study the Old Testament. Too much wrath, too much vengeance. But when people forget, you know what the Lord does with the remnant? You know what the Lord does with those who remember? You're going to see something's different about this guy. Something's different about this gal. He uses them. That's my guy. That's my gal. They're my vessel. And I'm going to use them. Look at Rahab. She woke up in the morning a prostitute. That was her vocation. She woke up in the morning. That morning, her head rose from her pillow a prostitute. That very night, her head went down in her pillow a vessel of the Lord. You say, wait a second, what? How could that be? How could that be? Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Yes, he responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to wickedness. And he also responds to repentance. You're a prostitute. God loves you. I love you. And that ship you're on is dangerous. It will kill you. Jump ship. There is a better way. You come to Christ. And you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. All of you, I don't care. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, J-Dub, Mormon, Catholic, Reformed. I really don't care. But we get you cleaned up. We get you cleaned up. And Jesus cleans his own fish. And we study together. We grow and we mature together. You say, well, I I don't know anything about the Bible. Praise the Lord. Let's learn. You know Jesus Christ. You know he loves you. You believe in him. Praise the Lord. Let's learn together. Let's study together. You see? And the Lord takes the remnant. In the Old Testament and New Testament, the Lord takes the remnant. Like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hannah. And says, you know what? I see. The Lord sees the corruption through the land. But then he sees, wow, this guy's not corrupt. This gal's not corrupt. And then he uses them. Remember Amos? I'm no prophet nor the son of the prophet. Son of a prophet. And the Lord says, hey, Amos, surprise. You're a prophet. 
and he tasks Amos. Straight up Amos saying, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And he's the one saying, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) You see, it's so beautiful. Satan doesn't want anybody to know this. So, he'll entertain you to death. He'll put this music here. He'll put the show here, a movie here, a vice over here, a vice over there. Get you preoccupied over here, preoccupied over there. Oh, don't let too long. Don't listen to this guy. Too long. Here's this one. You listen to this guy. It's just a 10-minute job. Oh, you want to be hardcore? Here's a little 20-minute job. Don't listen to this guy. A little three-hour job. Don't listen to that guy. Satan doesn't want anybody to hear this. Because he knows he's going to burn in hell. Look what happens in verse 15. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you see how beautiful verse 15 is? There's no denying the beauty behind verse 15. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people. And yes, you're going to see moments in our studies, future studies, you're going to see moments where this blessing of the Lord, it's on the entire camp of Israel. But then you're going to see moments where God's judgment is on Israel. They start to lose battles. But then you look even closer and you're going to see, wow, God is blessing this individual. You see, you you will see these things. But then you know why, because people make their commitments to the Lord. Some people forget them. Some people keep them. You see, sometimes it's just, okay, yeah, I commit my life to the Lord. But it's, they don't take the vows like the Lord takes vows, like he desires us to take vows. You see. Bless your people, he says in verse 15. Remember Cornelius in the book of Acts? If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through Acts 10? Cornelius honored the Lord and gave gave alms. And he feared the Lord. And you know what? Cornelius wasn't even a Christian. This is straight up New Testament. So Cornelius is on one side of, you know, one side of town or in one town. And here Peter is, a vessel of the Lord on in another town. And the Lord gave Cornelius a vision. And in the vision, specific instructions on what to do. Listen to our study through Acts 10. You'll understand more. And the Lord is the one who arranged this meeting. Speaking to Cornelius, to send out for Peter. And then once Peter was summoned, Peter went perceiving that it was, you know, like things were uh, kosher, so to speak. I mean, this isn't a study in Acts 10. Listen to our study through Acts 10. But Peter joins the, 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 the ones who Cornelius sent out. And then Peter is with Cornelius as, to, you know, to... What what's the reason? Why have you summoned me? And then Cornelius explains, and it just so happens that the Lord just gave Peter a vision. You know, in, in, in Acts 10, in the beginning part of Acts 10, 
that the Lord gave Peter a vision about do not call unclean what the Lord has called clean, what the Lord has cleansed. The promises of God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God unto Gentiles. And you can almost see it when you read Acts 10, you can almost see it in real time. Because once Peter perceived, once Peter realized like, oh my goodness, okay, the Lord is wanting his promises to go to Gentiles. Because Cornelius wasn't Jewish. And once Peter perceives, wow, like, wow, this is for the Gentiles. And so in obedience to the Lord, he gives the good news, the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And you can, when you read it and when you study it, listen to our study, you can see it like in real time, Peter's speaking, 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 speaking. And it says, as Peter was speaking, boom, the Holy Spirit on Cornelius and on his household. You see, the Lord sees. I mean, for some people, like you read other passages in Acts, some people, they had to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and then receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then on others, like Cornelius, like they already believed in God. Cornelius was already honoring the Lord, giving alms, so much so that the eyes of the Lord were already on him. And when the eyes of the Lord were on him, the Lord spoke to Peter and says, Peter gave, you know, Peter, this is what I want. I, I want you to go to Cornelius. Notice, Peter goes to Cornelius. Peter goes to Cornelius, pastors. It's not a part, it's not, you know, for pastors who say to the saints, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, pastor, you know what God is doing? He's doing a work among the saints. That is the building, that is the field. You see, the saints. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 3, you'll understand. Making this the, the distinction between field and worker or building and worker, making the distinction. And so we see promises like this in, in Deuteronomy 26, verse 15. You know, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people. Now, you see that in Acts 10, upon Cornelius. See how the Lord arranged this divine appointment? People say divine appointment like, oh, you are hereby appointed. No, it's divine appointment. I like to think of it like a doctor's appointment. Now, Cornelius, at this time, this, you know, Peter's going to come over here. You know, it's, it's beautiful how the Lord arranges it. Among his vessels, he is vessel Peter. But don't forget how he spoke to Cornelius. Honor the Lord, fear the Lord in accordance to the law. You see how the law with ears to hear and eyes to see the law. Cornelius wasn't Jewish and yet he was honoring the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Cornelius was honoring him. And so the Lord says, okay, he sees. And the Lord tells the angel, you know, go to Cornelius. It's powerful. Divine appointment. Notice what happens here in verse 16. 
Deuteronomy 26, verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgment. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Again, multitudes forget, multitudes transgress, but there's something different about the remnant. Something different about the remnant. This remnant we will see in the Old Testament. This remnant we see in the New Testament. This remnant we see today in these last days. There's something different about this guy. There's something different about this gal. Consecration unto the Lord. Verse 17. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Notice the triple whammy here. Walk, keep, obey. It's the same today. Walk, keep, obey. Same today. Just like Brother James says, faith without works is dead. The two are inseparable. He boils it down and equates it to belief and obedience. The two are inseparable. Now, people attempt to separate it, but that's demonic. Even the demons believe, but do they obey Jesus? The answer is no. The two are inseparable because when you believe in Jesus Christ, you obey. You have a choice to make, you know. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Okay, let's follow him. I believe in Jesus. Let's go grave soaking. Nope, wrong Jesus. You jump ship. Let's study together. See? Verse 18. Also today, notice God is reactionary. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people just as he promised you. Notice, when you read verse 18, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. Look at the precursory verse is verse 17. Today, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God, to walk, keep, and obey. You see? And the Lord is reactionary. So, the Lord the Lord has proclaimed in verse 18, you to be his special people, just as he promised you. You see? The promises are effectuated in and through obedience. Just like we study in the New Testament. That you should keep all his commandments. In closing, verse 19. And notice God is reactionary. And that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor. And that you may be a holy people or a consecrated people to the Lord your God. Just as he has spoken. In the Old Testament, in our studies... We will see holiness in people and God responds. We will see wickedness in people and God responds. In the New Testament, exactly the same. Today, exactly the same. May we together, Koinonia Ecclesia, may we together forever desire holiness and walk in holiness 
and keep and obey his word consecrated unto the Lord our God. To the people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.